Amen. Be seated. What a wonderful way to start off a, a gathering of God's people talking about trusting the Lord and being strong, having strength, being courageous in the face of so many things that can bring doubt and fear and anxiety into our lives. You know, Bernie asked the question, can the two coexist, anxiety, trust in God? Well, we know that the ultimate answer is no, they don't mix. But the reality, in a practical sense, so often they're both a part of our lives. We find ourselves trusting the Lord, trying to lean on the Lord, but yet we are anxious and fearful about certain situations in our life. We're not robots. We are flesh and blood, and we all have those things in our lives. And hopefully, as we go more and more in hand with the Lord, the trust becomes much stronger and the worry and the fear become less in our lives. And I think that's a reality, too, for those who've really walked with the Lord a long time. And I've just got to pause for just a moment because uh, Miss Jean Fields is back with us this Sunday morning after having open-heart surgery. <clears throat> Welcome, Miss Jean. It's so good to see you. And right to her right is John Behrens, who's back with us for the first time after having his open-heart surgery. And uh, there are two mature people that were really at peace with the major surgeries they were having and just trusting the Lord. And I remember as I sat with John before we had a prayer and the surgery was getting ready to happen, he's talking to the doctor and the doctor says, well... Do you have any concerns? And John's answer, just really legitimately authentic was, no, no concerns. Uh, I know who holds me in their hand, and his will will be done. And that is a developed faith over a time period of really walking with the Lord and seeing God act. So one of the things that I've always tried to be very cautious of is I've always wanted to speak for the Lord, but not speak in place of the Lord. And if you really listen to what's being said there, you know what I mean. We want to convey the Word of God and not convey our take on the Word of God. Because what is important for God's people is to hear His voice in any subject. But the reality is in life, Jesus taught some incredible things about our walk with Him and the Father here on this earth. And today, we are talking about anxiety, and we're talking about fear, and we're talking about worry, and how really it doesn't have a place in our lives, although it does. And we're challenging ourselves to hear the teaching of Jesus and the promise of our Lord that it does not have to dominate us as we go through life. There is nothing more discouraging than to hear someone who's been a believer many, many years of their life and yet to see in their life the result 
of anxiety and worry and stress and really leading to unhappiness. And so we start off our text from Luke chapter 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Now, in Luke chapter 12, there's been four main movements, and this is three and four, of things that people in general worry about. In verse 4 of Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, You are worrying about who can kill your body. But I'm telling you, don't worry about the person that can kill your body, and after that, do nothing to you. I'll tell you what you should fear. Fear the one that after the body has been killed has the power and the authority to cast you in to hell. Sobering. Sobering thought. And then a little later, he said, whenever you are brought before a public audience to give an account of why you believe in the Lord and you are panicked and don't know if you're going to say the right thing or don't even have the words, don't fear that situation because the Holy Spirit will be with you and will give you the words that you will speak. And then here, three, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And he covers the basic necessities of life. Where do I stay? Where will I live? What will I drive? How will I have a job? Will I... All those anxieties. Jesus says, don't worry. Is it realistic not to worry? Absolutely. Because Jesus says, you don't have to worry. And then he begins to build the rationale for why we can sit back, relax, hold on to God's hand, keep our eyes on the Father, and surrender our hearts to Him every day as we live life and go through this journey of things that would possibly distract us from the trust that He wants us to have. He says initially, life is more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they do not have a storeroom or barn. Remember last week, the rich man who was so blessed by his harvest that he had to tear down all his barns and build bigger barns to put everything in it? And here, Jesus continues that theme and says, look at the birds. They don't have a barn. They don't even store anything. And yet your heavenly Father, God, feeds them. How much more valuable are you than a bird? And so we start to see something develop that even becomes more clear when we get down in verse 32. But it is the developing idea that the Heavenly Father, the Creator of all things, loves His creation. Have you ever really thought about the idea that God loves 
birds, that God loves the animals, wildlife. God says here, He loves His creation. He loves the birds. Now look here. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the wild flowers and how they grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. I think it's continuing with God loves the birds. God loves his flowers. God loves creation. And then he said... You're much more valuable than the birds. You're much more valuable than flowers. But God loves it all, but He loves you most. Do you see that surfacing in this text? Because it's key to your walk with the Lord to know that God loves His creation and that God loves you. And it really is against the idea that somehow the God that's creator of all things is an angry God, is a God that likes to judge, that likes to discipline. It's against the idea that, well, God will do some good things for you, but most of the time He wants to hold you accountable. God loves birds. God loves His flowers. He loves you more than the birds and the flowers. And so take heart that your God cares about you, looks at your life, sees what you're going through, and says, Trust me, I want you to have peace in your heart. I will take care of you the way that I've determined. And it's sort of hard to embrace that kind of trust in God. That, that God who is creator over everything, that a bird doesn't even fall to the ground without God knowing it. And the beauty of nature, even Solomon, God loved and used in a mighty way, was not clothed like God clothes nature. And if that is God's nature to love and to care for His creation, and you are the apple of His eye, made in His image, maybe we can understand that our Father is a God of love and kindness. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up under some of the teaching that God was somewhat angry. He was looking to send people to hell. And it was his goal, you know, to hold people accountable. So be very cautious. You don't want to fall into the hands of an angry God. Big sermon series back in the 40s. Don't fall into the hands of an angry God. What is your view of God? How do you think of God when you think about Him? Do you think about Him as a father that has good for you, that a father that wants to be kind to you? Or do you think about God as he's waiting for me to slip up? He's looking for the opportunity to punish me.
Now, it is true that God disciplines the children that he loves because he wants to get our attention in some area of our life where we've taken our focus off of him. But in general, God is a God of love, goodness, and kindness. And that is what is normal about the nature of God. It's not the other way around. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. So, what is it that you're going through in your life right now? That you're not trusting God. What is it? Now, if we don't answer that question, and we know we all have those things going on. What is it? Is it your health? Is it your family? Is it your marriage? Is it your job? What is it? Is it your children? What is it? You could just go on and on and on with the different things that we might be focused on that God says don't focus on those things in terms of worry and concern. I love you. I care for you. I take care of my creation, although it's here one day and gone tomorrow. You're eternal. How much more will I take care of you? How much more will I clothe you? Now, it's a fact that God doesn't necessarily do things the way we want to be taken care of. Oh, Lord, let me win the lottery. That would solve all my problems, God. No, it wouldn't. That's not the kind of God we, we are looking to with the deep pockets. Give us what we want, the way we want, when we want. We know, okay, I can trust you. This text, Jesus simply says, your Father will take care of you and if Jesus promises it, why is it so hard for us to believe that? Why is it so hard for us to rest in that? Because that there is really the crux of the matter. Do we believe Jesus? What would it be like in your life, in our lives, if we were able to truly step back and just say to ourselves, Whatever this day brings, the Lord is with me to get me through it. Whatever happens, my God is watching over me. My God is protecting me. My God is surrounding me. Therefore, I can be strong and courageous because wherever I go, whatever I face... You're with me wherever I go because you love me and you care for me and you want good for me. What would it be like in your life? Listen, I know if we're in church long enough, we can talk the talk. We know the right Bible answer, the right response, but the reality is so often we don't have that right response living in our soul. So you lose someone you love. Something doesn't go right in your child's life. You get the disease. And you don't know 
what the end will be for you in this life. You lose the job. Things fall apart in your marriage. But I am telling you, with the humble boldness that I could muster, there is nothing that can come against you in this world that you cannot cling to the hand of God and have a deep peace to get through, whether you understand it or not, whether you like it or not. He is with you and will guide you through that situation, but you've just got to hold on to His promises and cling to His truth. Do not let Satan get a foothold in your life where you take your eye off the Lord. That's exactly what happened to Peter in the boat when Jesus came walking across the Sea of Galilee and the storm was raging. They thought he was a ghost and they were scared. And Jesus says, it's me. And Peter says, call me to you. And Peter hops out of the boat and starts to Jesus. But then he's distracted by the storm and the waves and all the commotion and begins to sink because he takes his eyes off the Lord. Don't let anything distract you Trusting your Lord who loves you. Oh, you of little faith. That's why we have the concerns and worries and doubts to the degrees that we have them. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. And do not worry about it. You notice he just keeps coming back to the theme of the basic essentials of life. Don't let your stomach guide you and be your treasure. Let God be your treasure. Rich man, you don't need bigger barns. Let God be your treasure. Here, let your trust in God be your treasure. Watch where your focus is at. For the world or the pagans run after all such things and your father knows that you need them. I mean, you look at most people's lives that really don't genuinely walk with the Lord and all the anxiety and all the stress and all the fighting and all the battle that they face on a daily basis most often is clearly because... They're chasing things that they think is going to make them happy or bring satisfaction to their life or joy into their lives. And yet, God says, this is the wrong motive and outlook. You can't fill yourself with what you need to find the peace that you think you will have once you get it. You need me. You need reliance and dependence on me. And then you can go through life and be happy because I am the God that supplies and makes people happy. Happiness is a gift from God. Joy is a gift from God, according to Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, there's different kinds of happiness. There is a worldly happiness and there is a godly happiness and contentness. And the godly contentness and the godly happiness and the leaning up against God and trusting Him is a true joy that lasts through the most difficult circumstances we go through. 
Father knows what you need in this life. Quit running and quit chasing all these things and pursue the Lord. Be rich towards God. Seek first His kingdom and all these things will be given to you. Now this word but, the conjunction from, you know, don't chase after these things but do this, conveys the idea that whenever you're pursuing God and you're rich towards the Lord, this is the way God has designed to fill your soul with His peace and to eliminate all the anxiety and worry. But He goes on, and I want you to see in verse 32, because this comes back to that idea that God is a loving God and and God has good for us and He wants good for us and He wants to do good things for us. Here you see it just punctuated when He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Look at all those wonderful words. Again, just initially, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what? Back here was... Don't be afraid who can kill the body. Don't be afraid about eating and drinking. Here it is. Don't be afraid. God has given you the kingdom of God. What, What else can you want in this life? What else can you want? God has given you, little flock, the kingdom of God. And it's interesting. You see Jesus sort of mixing all these metaphors, which is something you don't do, but you have the Father. You Father usually has children, subjects. You have the flock, which usually you need a shepherd. You have the kingdom, which he's the king. And so don't be afraid, little flock. Well, little in what sense? Well, the church, compared to the world that we live in, the dark world that we live in, here we are huddled together in the name of God and that the world, for the most part, has turned its back on the Lord and there are things that happen to those who love the Lord, persecution, So Jesus is saying, little flock, you're little, but I'm strong. You're my flock, I'm your shepherd. I am the God that leads you beside still waters. I am the God that leads you to green pastures. I'm the God that fills your cup full to overflowing. I am the God that pursues you in faith and righteousness. So little flock, your father, your father, I'm sure that not everyone here this morning had a good, loving, kind, generous, gracious father. I'm just sure that's true. The norm, it seems to be, that uh, you talk to people about their parents or the fathers. I mean, a lot of people did not have that experience of just a father that was sacrificial in their lives. And for those of us who did, we know what blessing it really was. But here Jesus is saying, your father has been pleased. Literally was well pleased. It was his good pleasure, 
even more literally, he was glad, happy to do it. To do what? To give you his kingdom. You are a child of the great shepherd. You are a child of the king. God is your father. He loves you more than birds. He loves you more than plants and flowers. God loves you and he has given you his kingdom. You are in relationship to him. You have everything. And if a God is willing and wants to give his kingdom, even though it cost him his unique son, who was bruised for our transgression, who was nailed to a cross, that's how much God loved you. Therefore, if that is a reality, why are we worrying about the little things that we can't change? I love it when Jesus says back in that verse, if you can't even do a little thing like this, like add an hour to your life, that's a little thing to God. It's not a little thing to us, is it? then why do you worry about the rest? So this morning, church, I just want you to be able to go through life and most of the time have peace, have trust, to stand on that cornerstone of a foundation of Jesus' promises that says God loves you and is good and gracious and kind towards you. He wants the things that make you happy, and he knows what those things are even when you think you and you don't. Will you trust him? Will you surrender to him? When you do that, you will know a peace that is beyond all understanding no matter what you face in life or how difficult life becomes. And that's what I think Jesus wants for each and every one of us. So if you'll stand with me now and want to pray and then you can be seated and then John Gooch is going to talk to us about our communion time. Father in heaven, help each and every person here, Lord, to trust you more and more. Lord, it's so hard at times, but help us to stay before you, to look to you and have absolute confidence, God. Help us to be strong and courageous whatever we go through. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I have really, really enjoyed these last few days. You know, we've gone through a rough winter, it seems, but all of a sudden, God says, let there be light, and we get sunshine and warm air, and we go outside and we enjoy it. And I think it's a little bit of a God promise. It's like Patrick says, you know, we have to trust God. And I think that little January thaws are just an example of how God says, trust me, spring is coming. Trust me, no matter how deep the snow is, no matter how much ice is on the road, trust me, spring is coming. There will be flowers, there will be green trees, green grass, and all of these wonderful things that we can look forward to. The Bible over and over and over again repeats a single message. Love God. Trust God. 
the example that Patrick used today, you know, just so that over and over again, that God says there is nothing that is beyond my power. And I think back to that night when Jesus was with his disciples, and he knew what they were about to face. And so he told them something that they could hold on to and that we can hold on to every single time we do it. Every time we take communion, we can remember that God loved us so much that Jesus said, take the bread. It's my body that has been broken for you. And drink of the cup, which is my blood that has been poured out for you. Because my Father, the Holy Spirit, and I love you so much that we will go to this extreme to remind you to trust us and to know that we will be with you always. So as we pray, think about those thoughts of how much God loves you, how much you need to trust God out of that love. Father, we thank you for the promises. We thank you for the trust that we can gain in you. To know that no matter what we face, no matter what difficulty is before us, that it will be overcome. Father, we fear death, but your son was open about it. He elected, he chose to take that death for each and every one of us. And so whatever comes our way, we trust in you to take care of us even through that aspect. We look forward to the day that we'll be with you forever and ever. And in your son's name we pray.